0: That's awesome. What a great story of God's grace and God's kindness in the midst of that. Thank you, Gia. Uh, My name's Luke. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm delighted to be able to open up the scriptures with you this morning. So if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and grab it and turn to Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 8 through 14. If you're able to stand, uh, let's go ahead and stand together. This is a way to take God's word seriously. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14 is what we'll read. If you have one of the black hardcover Bibles from the back, that's on page 948. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14, as we read, remember, we're reading God's Word. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Well, hey, before we dive into this passage, I want to just uh, give you a little bit of an update and invite your prayers. I'd love for you to be praying over the next few weeks for myself and for Tim Campbell as we are heading to Turkey, Uh, and uh, we're going to leave on Friday for Turkey and be there about two weeks, um, and... uh, just with a lot of other things that we've been talking about. We haven't had a chance to kind of announce that, but we'll be sending you out uh, something on the city this week with some more specific things for you to pray for. Uh, But for those of you who don't know, we have some partnerships and a number of relationships in Turkey and have some significant just ministry investment there. We would love to see more Turkish people come to faith in Christ. Right now, uh, there are about 5,000 Christians in the entire nation, which is an incredible thing, and God is working Uh, But we want to see that increase, and we want to be part of of seeing that increase however we can. And so uh, there's a few purposes of our trip. Uh, At the beginning, we're going to have a chance to connect with some of our partners that are there. Actually, next Sunday, uh, I won't be preaching here, but I will be preaching there and get a chance to preach at one of the churches there and uh, would love to get the gift of tongues. Uh, for that and to speak Turkish to them. If that doesn't happen, we'll use a translator. And, uh, but either way, I'd love your prayers as it relates to, to having an opportunity to preach there. It's interesting. They said uh, to us, they said, you know what we really need? We said, what, what kind of a message do you think would encourage uh, this congregation? They said, you know, we really need the Christians to see that it's not just the, the leaders and the ministers that do the ministry, but that all of their life needs to matter for Jesus. I said, you know, we have a saying at our place called "All of life is all for Jesus." I think we could do that. So I'm going to look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and and, and do that. And then we'll connect with some of those partners. And then the, the um, kind of uh, a good chunk of the trip really is sort of a cultural and educational experience with Ray Baki, who's one of the leading missiologists in the world, trying to help us better understand uh, culture and understand the roots of what's happened in Turkey spiritually, and really be able to pray and invest more intelligently into the future. So uh, please be praying for us and. Uh, it it should be an experience for sure so you can pray for our wives too we we were watching 60 Minutes the other day and they were talking about ISIS and I said honey you see that country that's above Syria and Iraq you know what that is and she said no and I said that's Turkey she said you probably shouldn't have told me that so but we're going to be on the western side and, and anticipate that we'll be safe but we'd love your prayers so anyway all right into the Scripture. Uh, we're uh, working through this uh, book of Romans. We're working uh, through Romans 13. That's what we finish here today. And uh, we've been just kind of inching our way through. And once we hit chapter 12, we ran into this incredible theme of Love. And uh, it seemed to take a little bit of a, of a break, of a parenthesis last week as we looked at the beginning of chapter 13 and the idea of government and our relationship to government. But I told you that really that was just a, 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 an application of Paul's greater teaching in this letter uh, specifically related to love. And so Paul picks up the theme again in verse 8. And uh, as a people, we're people that like summaries. We like things simple, right? It's like, I don't want to read the book. I'll watch the movie. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to read the whole book. Let me get the Cliff's Notes. Any anybody ever use Cliff's Notes when you were uh, in school? Like ah, I don't know if I can read the whole thing. Just just give me the summary. Um, I think this is a reason a lot of people like Twitter you got to keep it brief. you got to keep it interesting. It's just real simple. You know, give me, give me the summary. In fact, there's a, a Twitter account that has taken this to a whole new level. Uh, it's the Twitter account Saved You a Click. Have any of you seen this? Saved You a Click. What they do is they take an article, headline, and they read the article. And what they do is they post a couple-word summary of the article with the, with the link to it. So let me give you just a couple examples. Here's, here's some from Saved You a Click. So the articles from Huffington Post, this is the place to see the leaves change. So they post Hokkaido, Japan. So you don't even need to read that article. You just know, okay, the place to see the leaves change is in Japan. Another one, uh, the headline, even more baby news for Kate Middleton. You won't believe the latest. Here's the latest. People are betting that she'll have twins. Right, that, that's what it was. Breaking, the Houston Astros have hired a new manager. AJ Hinch, right? This is just, isn't this incredibly time-saving? And then I like, this one was, was kind of funny, this next one. Uh, why was this dead goat born with a head like a human baby's? I'm not clicking on this one, they said. So, kind of smart, but we like, we like summaries. And here's the summary of Romans chapter 12 and 13 so far. Love God, love others. Love God, And love others. And we're going to actually see, in fact, that this issue of love uh, summarizes not just chapters 12 and 13, but really even summarizes the whole Bible. We'll see that. But, but it, it's just fascinating, and, and it's, it's easy as we sort of study through this book slowly to lose kind of the scope of what's been happening in this book. But if you remember, chapters 1 through 8 was all this great theological discussion about what God had done for us. Chapters 1 through 8 uh, told us that we were separated from God because of our sin, that irreligious people had sinned, religious people had sinned. It said in chapter 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God but that we could be made right with God by faith in Christ. And so the, the, the back half of 1 through 8, sort of 4 through 8, uh, tells us what it is to be united to Christ. It tells us that if we're united to Christ by faith, that there are promises for us, that nothing can ever shake us in that. Uh, we're told then in chapters 9 through 11 that God's promises stand and that they're firm. And then when Paul starts to finally go, okay, now here's how you apply that to your life what does he say? Chapters 12 and 13. Love God, love others. That's what the Christian life's about. It's about realizing how loved you are by God, and then responding by loving God and by loving others. And so it's not surprising then in this section that Paul spends a good deal of time, again, related to this issue of love, And I hope you're seeing from this that, that when the Bible talks about love, it's not just talking about it in sort of a coffee mug, bumper, bumper sticker kind of way. It's, a, it, it's more robust, it's more thorough, it's more involved, it's more multifaceted than we might think. So here's what we're going to look at today. Three, three kind of big ideas here is the magnitude of love, the motivation of love, and the method of love. The magnitude of love, the motivation of love, and the method of love. We see the magnitude of love in that first paragraph, verses 8 through 10. Look at verse 8. It says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, this owing, this really comes out of what we saw in verse 7. In verse 7, he'd said this, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed, And then he says, owe no one anything. Well, what does that mean? Well, this word owe, here's what it means. This word means uh, to leave a debt outstanding, to leave a debt unpaid. So, So that's what he's saying. Don't have any outstanding obligations except to love one another. So this is not a verse that says don't ever borrow something, but it does say if you borrow something, make sure you pay it back, right? So if you borrow money, pay it back. If you borrow a rake, pay it back. If you borrow someone's car, give it back. Right? It doesn't say it's wrong to borrow, but what it's saying is it's wrong to leave things you borrow unsettled. Sort of leave it out there. But that's not even Paul's main point. It's just sort of his main transition. His transition is saying, listen, pay every debt you have. Don't leave anything unsettled, except there's one debt that you can never pay enough of. There's one thing that, that you can never do enough of. You can never get to a point where you go, check, did it. What's that one thing? He says, owe no one anything except to love each other. Except to love each other. That's the one thing you never get done with. It's the one thing you never go, done. Owe no one anything except to love one another. Just kind of a a brief thing here. I, I think one of the things that that just tells us that's interesting just as it relates to kind of outstanding debt is the more and more financial debt you accumulate and the more and more and the bigger and bigger it gets and the more unpayable it becomes and the more likely it becomes that you're going to default on a house or, or go bankrupt or do other things. One of the things you know if you've been in that situation is one of the things that that kind of debt prevents is your ability to love. You'd love to be able to do something generous for somebody, but you can't because you can't afford it. You'd love to be able to give some time to serve someone or care for someone in a meaningful way, but you can't because you've got to work because you owe this thing. It doesn't say not to take on debt, but I think it's interesting here just to see that the more and more debt we do take on, the harder it becomes actually to do the main thing we're to do, which is to love one another. But the point here is, is the magnitude of love is what I said. So the magnitude. So, so what I want you to see in this paragraph is how significant this idea of love is to the Apostle Paul. And, and remember, as we read this here, the Apostle Paul is a trained Old Testament scholar. He's a trained rabbi. He knows the Old Testament front and back. He quotes it in all kinds of he quotes it places we haven't even read before. Uh, This is an incredible thing. So here's what he says. Oh no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now the law here, Paul is talking about the Old Testament. The Old Testament law. The Old Testament commands. Earlier in the book of Romans he had done quite a bit of work to tell you that no one could be made right in the sight of God by trying to obey the law. And yet here he says if you love somebody... You have fulfilled the law. How can that be? He says, verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Those all come right out of the Ten Commandments. And then he says, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Some people have counted that the Old Testament has 613 commands. Paul says, you can boil all of that down to one. Love your neighbor as yourself. He he actually quotes here from Leviticus 19, and Jesus quoted this as well. When they came to Jesus and they said, "Uh, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? He said, love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's interesting here that Paul can say that any other commandment, all the 613 commandments, any other commandment you could think of could be summed up in this one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why not two words, right? Why doesn't Paul say you can sum up the law in love God and love others? Paul just says you can sum up the law in love others. Or you even get it in verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. How can he say that? How's it that Jesus says both of these things and then Paul just says neighbor? I think the answer comes when you realize that it's only possible to love God Or to love your neighbor if you if you love God first. If you've been loved by God and then you love God in reply, because then you begin to have the resources, then you have the strength to keep loving your neighbor as yourself. Because when you've been forgiven, when you've been loved, and when you then love God, then you can continue to love your neighbor even when it's tough. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, he says. Therefore, love is the fulfilling. Of the law. Do you get the magnitude of this? The magnitude of love. Verse eight. The one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. Verse nine, all the commandments are summed up in this word. Verse ten love is the fulfilling of the law. But notice it says uh, in verse ten, love does no wrong to a neighbor. So when Paul here is talking about love, get this, he's not just talking about your feelings. He's not just talking about your affections. He's also talking about your actions, what you do. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, right? If you look at these commandments that he is talking about here, love does not commit adultery because that's another person's spouse. Love does not murder because that person is made in the image of God. And you don't own them. God does. Love does not steal because that's someone else's property. It's theirs. It's not yours. Love doesn't covet because covet is, is this attitude of wanting what someone else has. It's jealousy. It creates strife. It, can, it contains division. It says love doesn't do that kind of stuff. So, so, so I want you to see here Paul isn't saying all those commandments don't matter, just Love. That's not what he's saying. Right? There are a lot of people in culture today that want to go, you know, the Bible, it it's kind of was written a long time ago and there's a lot of commands and we should just kind of set that aside. Let's just love each other. You ever heard something like that? Who cares what the Bible says about sexuality and let, let's just love each other. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's not saying Let's get rid of the law, let's just love. Paul's saying, because we value the law, the thing that upholds and and fulfills the law is loving. So when we love, we're actually doing what the law requires. That's why obedience and love go together. Someone who says, well, I want to love you, but I'm going to disobey God to love you, is actually not loving. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. This is why obedience matters to the Apostle Paul. There were people along the way, and we, we ran into this months ago as we were studying the book, who, who came to him and said, so Paul, if we get all this grace, should we go on sinning that grace would abound? And, and do you remember, any of you remember his answer it was a long time ago? By no means. You're crazy. That's nuts. No way. Why? Because Paul's saying, I'm, I'm more committed to the law than you could ever imagine, but my commitment to the law is not a commitment to the, to the kind of letter of it. It's a commitment to the heart of it, which is love, which also then fulfills the law. This is a big deal. That action thing really matters. And here's a quote. I, I, I don't know where I first heard this, so um, I'll just, as I've always said, uh, we, we judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intention. I don't know who said that, but you can credit me if you want. <laughs> Isn't that true? So, so in all this discussion on love, this is not just about the law is fulfilled by having better intentions. This is about action. We tend to judge other people by their actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions. But this is saying move toward people. Obey God. Love the Lord. Be committed to holiness and obedience because in so doing, you will love one another. That's the magnitude of love. Now, the motivation of love. This is really interesting uh, how this kind of works with what Paul has talked about in chapter 12. So if you have your Bible, turn it back to uh, Romans chapter 12, Verses uh, 1 and 2. Chapters 12 and 13 here, the beginning of chapter 12 and the end of chapter 13, say fundamentally the same thing, and they both give a motive. They both give a reason. And in chapter 12, the motive for why we should present ourselves to God and love is because of what God has done. It's a past motive. In chapter 13, it's a future motive motive. All right, so chapter 12, verse 1 says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because of the mercies of God, because of the 11 chapters that have just come before this, that have told you about how merciful God has been, even when you were a sinner, I appeal to you because of that past to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And I remember what we said when we uh, looked at that a number of months ago, is what that means is the idea that you are offering yourself to God, that you get up in the morning and you say, God, I'm yours. I want to be identified by you, not my will, yours be done. That's what it is to be a living sacrifice. What it leads to then is a contrast. Verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So that's how Paul began this. Look back to all the grace you've had. And in light of that, consecrate yourself to God and live differently the world. Live the life of love. And then he talks about the life of love, and he talks about the life of love, and he talks about love. And then he gets to 13, and now he says, look forward. Look forward and do the same thing. So look at chapter 13, starting verse 11. He says, besides this, besides that love is the fulfillment of the law, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. Do you you see this language he's using? It's all this language of Christ could come. Christ could return. You could stand before God at any moment. Right? Look at it. The hour has come. Wake up! Salvation is nearer to us now. And and he's not saying that, that you're not a Christian by faith. What he's saying is... the fullness of your salvation as you meet the Lord face to face. That day is approaching. That day is getting closer. That hour is at hand. The hour has come. Verse 12, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So in 12, he said, look back at all the mercy. In 13, he says, look ahead. Jesus is coming. You're going to stand before him soon. Therefore, live a certain way, and we'll talk about what that life is here in just a minute, but I want you to, do you get the motivation there? It's, it's time is short, life counts, you're going to give an account to God, make the most of it. I had the privilege this week to be part of a funeral service uh, for someone that, uh, goes, someone that goes to our church, their, their brother had passed away, and it was a very unexpected thing. Uh, a week before, no one had imagined we would have been in that room, And it was heartbreaking. Young guy, he's in his his 30s. And no one expected to be there. No one wanted to be there. I'd love to never again be in a room like that. But here's what I know. I will be. And you will be. And the verse that I, that I talked through at that service is a verse that I love from Ecclesiastes 7. It says that it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. Get that? It's better to go to a funeral than a wedding. Why? And the, the verse continues, for death is the destiny of all mankind and the living will take it to heart. In other words, at a funeral, you think about it. You go, what if that was me up there? What if it was the pictures of my life being played? This day is coming for me, and the living take it to heart. And Paul here is saying, He's saying, Listen, the day's coming. The hour's at hand. Jesus could return at any moment. You could die at any moment. At any moment, you could be standing face to face before God to give an account of your life. We're actually going to see in chapter 14 next week. It says, Repeatedly, we will stand before the judgment seat of God. Verse 12 of chapter 14. Each one of us will give an account of himself to God. That day's coming. And what is the thing primarily that God will judge? I am convinced for Christians, because he's talking to Christians here. This isn't the are are you going to hell or going to heaven judgment. This is the what's your reward look like? What's the thing that God's gonna judge? How did we love? How did we love? So the magnitude of love is, this sums up everything. If you love, you you fulfill the whole law. The motivation of love is the day's coming. You're going to stand before God. You're going to have an account for this. Jesus could return. And then finally, number three, the method of love. The method of love. In light of this, what do we do? In light of this motivation, in light of this coming reality, what do we do? Well, this is what he says in verse 12. He says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now you see a list here of these verses. I've just broken this out visually so you can be able to see it. Paul says, because uh, the night is gone, the day is at hand, the time is short, because of that, do this, don't do this. And does three versions of that, right? Let us put on the armor of God. Let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Let us avoid these sins. Let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us make no provision for the flesh. It's interesting the contrasting going back to chapter 12. Chapter 12 said, In view of all that mercy, present yourself to God. Don't be conformed to the world, but do be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Here he goes, In light of the future judgment that's coming, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Offer yourself to God. Not this way, but this way. It's an incredible kind of bookend sort of thing. So, beginning of verse 12. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. These are really three ways, by the way. These are three ways of saying kind of the same thing. It's not major different points being made here. Putting on the armor of light walking properly as in the daytime, if you go back to that, that slide again, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, those are the same thing. And the main command here is that last one. If you look in the, the Greek text, the main command is, put, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like that other stuff. <laughs> putting on the armor of light, living according to obedience, not walking in, in darkness walking properly as in the daytime. So these are the same kinds of things. And what do we avoid? We avoid works of darkness. And then we're to avoid all these different sins of the flesh. It's interesting, he groups them in pairs of two. And notice about these sins, I'm not going to go into each one specifically, but notice that each of these sins are sins against love. These are communal sins, right? Orgies and drunkenness, Sexual immorality and sensuality, quarreling and jealousy, every one of those involves other people. Again, it's about love. See, again, love is not just the feelings you have toward people, it's what you do. And when you do what is right before God, it also happens to be that that's the very thing that most loves your neighbor. So, walk in obedience. Wear the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus, why? Because that's actually loving. That actually helps you love them better. I shared this quote a number of weeks ago, uh, and a number of you had actually emailed me and asked me to get it, and so I'm not afraid to use it again. It's from Mike Shea, he was my pastor in college. And here's what he says as it relates to this same idea. Um, He says this, the moral imperative of the Christian life is not just stop sinning, but pursue love. And you can't do one without the other. We are frequently frustrated in our struggle with sin because we oppose it in such a self-centered way. We hear ourselves talking about my struggle and my sin and my victory and my defeat and my sanctification and the way my sin makes me feel bad about myself. We are stuck in a quagmire of selfishness. We need to think rather about how our sin keeps us from loving others and hurts others and grieves the Spirit of God who loves us. That's the exact same thing that Paul's saying here. The the obedience that we think about is in relation to relationships. It's in relation to love. And so the, the ultimate conclusion of this chapter and of this section is in that command, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The, 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 I'll start with the negative command there and then, and then look at the positive command. The, the negative command is make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That word, uh, make no provision, it's a really interesting word. It means this. It means thoughtful planning to meet a need. Make no provision for the flesh means Don't put any thoughtful planning into how to meet the needs of your sinful flesh. So I told you I'm getting ready to go to Turkey. And I don't know a lot about it, so I'm making all kinds of provision, right? I'm making all kinds of planning. I'm I'm giving thoughtful planning to meet a need. What do I need to take? What kind of medicine do I need to have just in case something happens? Just what do I need to do? What kind of clothes do I need to wear? What's the weather going to be? Where are we going to go? There's all this thoughtful planning that happens. And Paul says, that's how a lot of us handle sin. As we sort of make plans for it. I can't wait till I can be alone. Log on. I can't wait till I can get on that business trip. And be alone. I can't wait till I can finally go out with the girls can't wait till we finally get to that club oh that restaurant I'm going to go crazy at that place and and I'm just using examples you can think of what what the sinful areas are for you but you know how you make plans for it you know how you just you resist closing down that Facebook account because you just want to be able to know what that old fling is doing you know, I don't really intend to do anything. I'm not, making any, I'm not making any plans. We're not even communicating. Yeah, but you're making a provision for your flesh, creating room. I mean, I don't know. This, Paul is saying, is, is take it seriously. Cut it off. Don't make any plans for it. Don't give any thoughtful planning to how you're going to dishonor God and hurt others. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the same thing as walking in the light, walking properly as in the daytime. But this word put on is a really interesting word. It it has the idea of putting something on like you would put on clothing. right? And we all do this. Every day, every one of us, uh, goes to a closet or goes to a dresser or goes to a hamper or goes to the floor or goes to the... uh, clothes dryer or goes to a new store maybe. I don't know. Every day we go somewhere and we have a decision to make. What am I going to wear? Some people think long and hard about it. Some people don't think about it much. But we make that decision. What am I going to wear? And we all know that what you wear says something. And oftentimes we go, okay, here's, here's what I'm I'm going to wear, I'm going to wear a Redemption Kids blue t-shirt today to church because that will say, I'm volunteering for Redemption Kids. I'd be happy to help you. I'm going to wear a football jersey because that will say, I love the Cardinals who are going to lose later this afternoon, (laughs) right? My kids, they go to the playroom and they come back with new clothes and new personalities, Right, I know people who they work from home and they never go into an office, but they go. You know what? Every day I have to get up and I have to take a shower and I have to put on a collared shirt and I have to put on pants because it makes me more productive. Because what we wear impacts what we present to the world. It impacts how we feel. Right? I've noticed we have these we have these shirts with redemption, these "All of life is all for Jesus" shirts. You know, I tip better when I wear that shirt. I don't usually tip at a coffee shop, but if I go to a coffee shop and I'm wearing that shirt, I tip because I'm saying something there, right? What we wear says something. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying when you get up in the morning, put on Jesus. Wear him. Have him be your identity. Have him be what you project to the world. Have him be what gives you purpose for this day. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very similar really to back in 12 when he said present yourself as a living sacrifice. Identify yourself with Jesus. Put him on. I haven't seen them in a long time and they grew uh, out of fashion just about as quickly as they grew in fashion, but that's what was kind of behind the WWJD bracelets back in the day. Is there was sort of a way to remind yourself, oh what would Jesus do? I'm putting on the Lord Jesus. This doesn't mean we're supposed to go out and buy Christian t-shirts. This means we're supposed to, in our hearts, go, I'm wearing Christ today. Representing him today. How am I gonna do that? I'm gonna do that by wearing the armor of light, by walking in the light, by loving other people. And here's what I love about this. I, I love how this verse, Paul here doesn't just say, put on Jesus. He doesn't just say, put on the Lord. He doesn't just say, put on Christ. He says, he uses his title. He uses his his full title. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And every one of those words is significant. Lord means that Jesus is master, that Jesus is king of the universe. Jesus is the same word as the Hebrew word for, for Joshua, which means God saves. The Lord, the master of the universe, saves. And Christ, Christ is not, you know, Jesus' last name, right? Like we're the Simmons family. There wasn't a Christ family. Christ is, is again, part of his title. The Lord, the master who saves, Christ meant the anointed one, the Messiah. The Lord of heaven and earth saves by becoming a promised Messiah. And Paul says, put that on. Clothe yourself in that. And I think part of what that means is remind yourself of who Christ is. Remind yourself of the privilege it is to be one of his people. Remind yourself of all the things that Christ has already clothed you in. We've seen in this book, he has clothed us in righteousness. He has loved us. He's accepted us. He's forgiven us. He's empowered us by his Holy Spirit. He's strengthened us. He's sustained us. He's welcomed us. He's adopted us. We've become his friend. He hears us. All of that is true, not because of us, and not because of our ability even to walk in the light, or to say no to all the sins, or even our ability to love each other, because that's a debt we'll never finish paying. We can't ever fully do it, but he did. And he did it for us. And so what this says is you will love one another and you will walk in obedience to the degree that you remember that the Lord of heaven and earth has saved by becoming an anointed Messiah for you. You remember that. And then you go, I want to follow him. This is the whole thing that's the difference between uh, obedience that's driven by should not and obedience that's driven by need not. Should not says, well, I better do this. If I don't do this, God won't accept me. If I don't do this, I I won't be liked by God. If I don't do this, bad things are going to happen. I should do the right thing because bad will happen if I don't. The gospel allows us to say, I don't need to do that stuff in order to be, I don't need to do it because I already have what satisfies. I already have the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm clothed in him. He's enough. I'll leave that sin aside and I will pursue love. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for what his name means and what it signifies and what it now says is true about us. And God, I pray that we would respond to him with love, that we would respond with obedience, and that that would bring us great joy as we fulfill all of the commands that you've given simply by asking what would be the most loving thing to do. So God, help us to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.